Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Jay, happy new year. Happy New Year to you, too. New Year? I'll, I'll, I'll drink coffee to that. <laughs> I'll drink a bigger one. <laughs> How's Callie doing? California survived New Year's Eve? Uh, other than, you know, weird storms and uh, things like that. Uh, New Year's Eve pulled off okay. Yeah. You know, our... Our last dog was a Vishla, and uh, he was terrified of firecrackers and uh, even little ones. Um, and uh, Sky, uh, if the really big boomer, somebody's homemade dynamite stick or something blew, he would bark, kind of yeah. like a car door closing in front of the house, he would bark. But just t- briefly, there was no cowering. There was no trembling. There was no, you know, they bred these dogs to chase lions. I think fear is like bred out of this breed entirely. <laughs> <laughs> this dog has as much frontal midline pain as I do. <laughs> you know, <so>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, do- dogs don't. At least the dogs that I've had, they don't like fireworks. The last one I had was an Irish Wolfhound, and. Uh, biggest one of the bigger dogs you can get and just yeah fabulous dog unfortunately that you know the giant breeds are very short-lived and uh, they're lucky yeah, to make seven years usually yeah you don't get your value yeah. well <laughs> yeah uh quality times it's a difficult calculation you know Dr. I'd rather have an Irish wolfhound for seven years than a chihuahua for a decade, you know? <laughs> Chihuahua's like a cat with a longer tail or shorter tail. <laughs> a very shaky cat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he, he absolutely did not cower or anything to any of the fireworks. The little fireworks, he didn't even respond to them. But the gigantic boomers or some people shooting guns, you know, that happens as well. He would bark very briefly. But yeah. nothing, no cowering or anything like that. As I say, I think they bred fear out of this dog. They're uh, they're bred to chase lions. I mean, how fearful do you have to be to chase a lion? You know, uh, you gotta be a little loopy, I think. You know? Well, so. if you're a Chicago Bears, you don't chase them very well. Yeah. <laughs> so. Dr. Murphy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! New New Year, New You. Oh man, the gyms are full. New, new Year, New Noodle. Come on! How I, did I, I drank. I drank the Happy New Year with Pete. Here's Happy New Year with you as well. <laughs> Boy, those gyms are packed. Can't even get in there. <laughs> What's a gym? Yeah, and the people look confused mostly too. What do I do here? Yeah, and the counseling offices—they're slowed down. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. No, I don't think no. so. Don't think okay. so. Yeah. The well, holidays—the holidays are boom time for psychiatry. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I was going to say in December, Dr. Marie, I thought they're burning out their insurance. Now they're waiting to, to fill uh, fill their deductibles up. Well, I mean, you know, they, they, we talk about different reasons, but, you know, the, a little bit of a saying is in good times, people can afford to take care of themselves and in bad times, people need to, you know, so... You know, if you're a good therapist, then you, yeah. you generally speaking have a good practice. <laughs> so, yeah. like you, yeah, hey, yeah. And, but is this is you know, this the lead Things so- changed as of this year as well in the insurance land here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, the Medicare uh, basically opened up uh, to doing paying therapists, mm-hmm. uh, master's degree counseling therapists, MFCs, the, all, all the little initials, various kinds that they have, um, uh, th- those are all now payable from Medicare. Yeah. And, you know, you think, oh, great, I got to work with people like my age. <laughs> so, but in, in the U.S., there's over 9 million people under 65 that are on Medicare because of various disabilities and so forth. So there, mm-hmm. there's actually a, a large medicare marketplace out there that's just now opened up and i think a lot of them don't even know that it's a possibility for them so this is the time of year to uh, get some promotional material out in front of some brain brightening for seniors um um, dementia versus depression and there's there's all sorts of stuff you can start to work with and um, and again, a, a brand new uh, funding source that's approved, um, you know, uh, top down. So I thought that would be a, a, a nice topic, Jay and Dr. Marie, is the brain brightening because Medicare opened up, and you know, some elders don't know what brain brightening is. And uh, oh my goodness, yeah. where are my keys? <laughs> Yeah. What do you mean, mild cognitive impairment? I'm just freaking cognitively impaired, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, there are plenty of people out there that that are uh, uh, seniors. There are some of them that live in, like, a Dell Webb upscale uh, active living retirement village of some sort, and uh, they're all well-to-do um, and, and have disposable income, and they can afford... Uh, any kind of a copay or whatever, and um, uh, you know they're uh, they're they're all worried about their cognitive decline. You know who who sixty five and over isn't somewhat concerned about it. Mm-hmm. So you know a, a little lecture at the library, um, a, a little free uh, a half hour chat session or something. You're you're going to bring in a lot of people. And, I want to go uh, to the other side. If there are any, um, why does this keep on happening? Yeah, if there are any uh, politicians out there, or social workers listening, uh, for individuals that are not independently wealthy, a very, very good investment in terms of healthcare is cognitive lucidity of, of elders and maintaining cognitive lucidity because i mean the cost if we just want to talk about cost you know the the generalized cost um to to the population is very very high yeah. 
Um, and then, of course, if we want to talk about, you know, humanity and, and the individual uh, quality of life, uh, we could go on and on yeah. and on. So I think, um, yeah, wh whoever is listening, it, if you the, the cost of uh, the third part of, of life is is just as much as the lower one it's the the, yeah. the middle years are relatively inexpensive but raising young kids and then taking care of elders is huge the problem yeah. the problem from what i hear is um the, the medicare will pay for talk therapy mm. let's just say 160 an hour and they'll pay neurofeedback at 65 an hour is it possible for a therapist to learn neurofeedback and kind of do both and bill for the yeah. 160? It's the billing yes. game. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, one of the things many of us do, I mean, I, I have to be, be a little bit cautious because I'm not too familiar with the U.S. Um, system. Yeah. Um, but, you know, many of us do do brain driving as we talk. So essentially you're doing neurotherapy literally in combination with talk therapy so there are many what we call uh passive forms of, of neurotherapy that can be ideally combined with talk therapy and then of course you can have active forms uh which is some of the things that we do with with, with children wherein they they do a run um of active where they're they're cognitively engaging in the feedback loop so for example with adhd they're trying to take down their good old theta or perhaps they're alpha, and then you do five minutes of talk or or, or an educational exercise, etc. Um, blend it. it. It is so, so powerful when you blend. I mean, that's a key thing that we do here at the Swingle Clinic. We blend all the time. What's the difference between having doing neurofeedback or like playing a board game with some, I'm not a counselor, but I've seen what they do. You, you do a, a card game or something and you're having a conversation and you're not charging to play the card game. You're charging to do the talk therapy. Neurofeedback mm -hmm. shouldn't be different than doing a board game or cards, right? Well, that's a really good point. You know, if you're talking about play therapy, right, are you just playing? No, you're engaging with a child. Or let, let me let me actually say art therapy. That's probably a better one. You know, you're engaging with a child as you're drawing. Now, some art therapists say what they're drawing is important. I tend to be on the other side. It's an activity where you can engage with an individual. They can start to express themselves through their hand as they speak, et cetera. So, so yes, what do you charge for? What What is the billing code? And I think that's the major, major issue with all the systems. It's about silly billing codes as opposed to, I am certified, I am registered, I am educated in this, I am capable of helping, and this is my hourly rate, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. If you're a talk therapist, you can hire a, a technician, you can get the, the equipment and you know, have a holistic, you know, offering because I can, can you take a drug and help with your cognitive abilities? Like, is there a drug out there that can do a better job than neurofeedback? I don't even know. Because they're called nootropics. Okay. Uh, that's a class of various drugs and uh, their efficacy is usually um, borderline uh, and somewhat controversial. Uh, as an example, DDAVP, which is vasopressin and oil nasal spray, 
Um, it, it's, it's supposed to be a nootropic and it gives you a faster alpha frequency and people perform better on testing. But if you're really smart, you realize that if you use that consistently, you're demineralizing your bones. So how freaking smart is that? You know, so if it's such a smart drug, why is it stripping your bone? I mean, you're going to be 20 years of using it on a constant basis. You'd be in a wheelchair. Yeah. I mean, we're so, talking about really bad side effects. We're talking about, well, I mean, all where do we want to go in terms of methylphenidate and brain atrophy and, you know, all these type of things. But, but my generalized statement here is why take a chemical, which you have to continue to take when you can actually change the efficiency of your brain. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense for those of us who are in the practice of doing this. And I think our key job at this point is getting the word out there. You know, if you invest uh, within, you know, key developmental stages in children, wow, what you can do. If you invest in peak performance um, during your middle years, wow. And then if you um, invest in uh, the slowing um, of cognitive decline in your later years, I, I don't know, I think we're all worth it. Um, and in terms of the, the trial and error of a lot of the meds, the side effects of the meds, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a place for them. There is definitely a place for them, okay? But not this, this blanket approach. And I yeah. think here we go, Pete, to an article that you sent us um, in terms of you know the pharmaceutical model um, of care or what I like to say of non-care. Um, yeah. Most appointments are 15 minutes and under. What can you really know about a person? And here I'm going to push Jay's button, um, the wind up Jay button, you know, in terms of somebody comes in and says, I feel depressed. Okay, here, take the, the yellow pill. Um, you know, what is depression? Right. Uh, you know, all of these these names we have, we're talking about, obviously, we're talking about an experience, not a diagnosis or perception, subjective perspective, uh, perception, not an objective, as far as I'm concerned, checklist. Um, and you want to look in the brain and see what's actually going on. What in the brain is causing the subjective expression of what we have chosen to label depression or, or any other uh, emotion or ailment. Okay, Jay, did I want Martine, you up enough? Martine Arns has a fabulous little short video. Hmm. Uh, a, 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 a man walks in uh, to a, 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 a store that is behind the counter in a white lab coat, a person, and he, he basically uh, asks for a prescription. Hmm. And then they pan back a little bit and the counter is transparent. And it's, it's like a fishbowl full of various drugs. And the, the person behind the counter reaches down and swirls it around and pulls out one and hands it to the person. And the person looks at it, it gets this quizzical look like, what the hell? You know, and, and, and this is, you know, go to your psychiatrist. If they don't examine your head, they are making a wild guess as to what might be effective. That's the standard of practice. You know, the standard practice is not to look at the brain activity, it's to guess it based on behavior. And again, the cardiologist analogy, everybody comes in complaining of chest pain, they go straight to an angioplasty, half of them had indigestion.
You know, the, the, the complaint, the symptom complaint should tell you what to test, not how to treat. Yeah, and we, we, we need a different level of psychiatry. Psychology still needs to do the testing uh, and uh, EEG, QEG, uh, ERPs. There's there's wonderful ways to test brain function nowadays, um, much less expensive than fMRI. So QEEG on depression, is, are you going to see something dysregulated in the front <laughs> left? Now, uh, Pete, that, that you're falling into the DSM trap. Uh, <laughs> QEG for what? I'm just trying to get passion. <laughs> oh, that. Well, what is that? You know, the, uh, the iSpot D study looked at over 3,000 people that had depression. And they didn't find left frontal alpha as the characterization of these 3,000 something people. And that, that's a common kind of misunderstanding within the neurofeedback roles. Oh, depression, that's left frontal alpha. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it can be. They found a subset in women that had right-left asymmetry that meant was meaningful, uh, but this it doesn't characterize the entire group. And here's where male and female separate somewhat, and you can't just you know lump them all together and not study the differences. Mm-hmm. So you know we we, we do need to uh, look carefully. We can't uh, willy-nilly uh, pick. Uh, uh, meds uh, just because of the behavioral presentation, uh, we, we have to actually do an examination. And the, it, it, in depression, you may have beta spindles right frontally. That's- yeah, if I could just jump in and um, uh, build on what Jay was saying is, um, you know, beautiful early studies on, you know, this is all going back to Davidson's work on the left, right uh, asymmetry, you know, fantastic, but keep up with the literature folks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it was a really good entry. It's really a good idea to look at it, but there's so many other uh, signatures now. I mean, the, the, the depth and uniqueness of each of us and, and how things express in the brain are phenomenal. And, and the lumping together of various presentations. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have mood state to boohoo sad depression. Oh, yeah. no, no. You've got agitated anxiety depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. You have a motivation and hedonia depression. They're different animals entirely. They don't look the same in the EEG. Yeah. And th- there's a lumping together of a group called reward deficiency. Mm-hmm. And that includes mood state and hedonia and that sort of thing, but it also has eating disorders and OCD and other things lumped into the same, you know, uh, reward deficiency problem. And, and that has a biomarker of a thalamocortical dysrhythmia at the anterior cingulate, mm-hmm. cognitive and affective division of the anterior cingulate. So, you know, it, if you don't look at the brain function, you're making a wild guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, this antidepressant might work. Yeah, might, might not, might make you worse. You know, if if you actually look at the brain activity, you can give a prediction of the efficacy. If you look at the literature for, for SSRIs, well, efficacy for SSRIs kind of, what's the term? It sucks. You know, the, it, it's 40%. 
50%, you know, this is not an effective drug. It beats placebo, which is about 35, 40%. Yeah. So that's how it shows to be effective. And they're but very, if very, If you target very the EEG, you can find an 85% success rate in Leslie Pritchett's work where they looked at the frontal um, alpha uh, and, and in OCD. And uh, that, that's 85% success. If it's a slow pattern in the same spot, it's 15%, which is half of the response of a placebo. It's a, a non-responding group, basically. And if you have beta up there, you have a really bad response that you predict the negative response uh, to the SSRIs. So, you know, if, if you look before you dive in the water, which is my grandmother's advice, I think it still works. Um, you, know, you, you end up having the ability to avoid hitting a rock and, you know, stepping on the beta uh, with an SSRI or wasting your time and money trying to treat a theta with an SSRI. So if the other I'm thing is they're very, very hard to get off of. And, and that's one of the things, even when there is a place for, for meds, I don't think uh, the, the psychiatry is transparent about, you know, sure, we'll try it, but if it doesn't work, how, you know, your symptoms get worse frequently trying to get off of these meds. And I think that's a, a critical, critical component. The other Serotonin thing- withdrawal getting, syndrome. It, yeah, yeah. There's a whole literature about serotonin withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. Also, let's throw in gender. Um, and here I'm really going to shake my fist at, you know, white coat, white men um, in terms of females and when in the life cycle uh, a lot of these meds are prescribed. And generally speaking, it's, it's during uh, hormonal um, uh, transformations um, and, you know, trying to counter um i would say natural stages and phases of just being female with an ssri not only is an insult to to gender making being female an illness um it doesn't it, yeah we're, we're we're absolutely disrespecting the feminine in this regard so to anybody out there working uh with young females and adolescents Okay, when the hormones are going woody doody do, um, menopause is another one, um, and then also uh, uh, um, uh, after childbirth, right? So, in terms of postpartum depression, uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there that these SSRIs are, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, disproportionately described, uh, prescribed for females based on hormones, yeah. If I'm and psychiatry has had a, had a thing with uh, women anyway. I mean, hysterical. Yeah. Well, what's the root of hysterical? Good old the wandering, uterus. The wandering uterus. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's the fix for that? You know, so, you know. Take the, it out. Take it uh, out. <laughs> uh, you know, um, anyway, it's, it's a pitiful history. We don't yeah. have to focus on it, but for God's sakes, let's not. Well, my issue, Jay, is it still, there. it still exists, right? And I think sometimes it's important to, to go back a few steps so that we're, we're, we're current in our present. Well, the article talked about, and I'll put it uh, here in the, in the show, uh, the Senator Fetterman, Ketterman, whatever his name is, he's he's got a whole line of issues. Hopefully he can uh, open up some doors, uh, get some more money 
uh, out of the insurance yeah. companies. But uh, when when you're taking a pill, what pill am I taking for depression generally? And what's the <laughs> efficacy of it versus neurofeedback? Any color. Any he color. may not have been treated with a pill. Yeah. I, 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 they haven't really released the detail of how he was treated. He could have had ketamine. Uh, yeah. he, he could have had uh, SSRI, could have been a stimulant. Um, there's all sorts of meds. Yeah. Uh, they, the, the important thing about him is that he was open about it. He actually thought it was going to can his career, that it he was going to be pitched out of politics. Other people historically uh, being treated for depression would be would be thrown out of politics. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a big risk. Um, but he had to do it, um, as he said, uh, when his when his kid asked him, you know, why am I not enough? You know, uh, you know, he he won the race. He's going to be a senator. He's still yeah. got a a really depressed state. The kids aren't making him happy, and and the kid said, why am I not enough? And he realized at that point he needed to. Uh, be treated because it, you know, it's not the kid's fault. <laughs> it's not that they're not enough. And you, right. And and he he was treated at uh, probably uh, at a very high level, uh, not um, not a knee jerk um, uh, sort of a response. He was hospitalized and and uh, and treated. But I I don't know exactly what they did uh, in his treatment. But yeah. it's obvious that. He's popped back and uh, he's quite an animated character. And um, well, he's he, he wears from a his stroke too. Yeah, and he wears his emotion on his sleeve. So, yeah, and who knows what the stroke may have done yeah. uh, to to create a worsening of a depression or initiate a depression? What could it have done? Well, if a stroke can basically give you um, post-stroke ischemic areas in the brain, less function uh, uh, following a stroke. Stroke could be a bleed or a clot. And the clot is an, called an embolism or a thromb, thrombotic. And that plugs a vessel and downstream doesn't get enough oxygen and glucose, so you lose function downstream. You get into the hospital, and his wife saved him uh, by getting him to the hospital early. Uh, they gave him PPA, uh, an enzyme that dissolves strokes, uh, the, the clot. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, welcome to, to the, <laughs> to the, the uh, co-host here. In, yeah. um, but um, at, at that point, uh, the clot's gone, and the blood flows back in. But the downstream has been anoxic for a period of time, you have lost some cells. So, and yeah, there he goes. Um, uh, he's like a, wear, a warm, heated, weighted blanket. So he's very calming for me here. Um, for the trippy stuff. Anyway, uh, Fetterman uh, popped back very nicely after his treatment. And um, again, not specifically as to exactly how he was treated, but the fact is he went in for treatment and that's one. If you don't go in to be assessed and treated, you you're, you're going to be stuck. So, are you depressed because you had a stroke, or the stroke caused the depression? That we don't know, uh, and I, I I have no 
no clue. No, I, I'm just saying uh, hypothetically what. Well, if we take it away from that specific person, yeah. we can yeah. kind of yeah, start. right, yeah. yeah. Um, but in, in general, you know, we, we can have chicken and egg. Um, I always respond yes. You know, generally speaking, a, a stroke will make anything you're carrying around, any liability uh, worse. You know, it, it, it could bring it to the forefront. Um, also, I mean, we're not even, you know, Jay could probably speak with much more knowledge than I, you know, where in the brain, what region was compromised or damaged. So in that case, yes, the stroke could be responsible. But in other situations, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I all of a sudden had one half of my face drooping, I'm sure I my mood would not be fantastic, even if my frontal lobes are perfect, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a huge. It depends, but yes. <laughs> well, plus he's a politician. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I think the big you lesson. Know, to... <laughs> there's actually a disproportionate number of strokes on the left hemisphere versus right hemisphere. And and uh, uh, th there's no difference within the brain that would predict the left being worse than the right. The difference is actually in the chest at the aortic arch coming off the heart and then descending down into your thorax. There's a vessel coming off into your left brachial artery that, that uh, feeds the left arm. That's the first off ramp. The next off ramp is the left carotid, internal and external, but it, it, at that level it's just the left carotid the next one is the right carotid but off of that comes the right brachial so if you're a clot floating out if you go out the arm that's not a stroke if you go up the left side that's a stroke if you go up the right side you still have half a chance of taking an off ramp to the right arm so the two hemispheres have a disproportionate uh, risk factor for a thrombotic uh, cva uh, more common left than right and it, uh, again, it's, it's because of the aortic arch off-ramps off um, as to where the clots can flow. And then they make it up into the brain. And goodness knows it's not a good good thing to have clogged up. Okay. And budgets for schools and mental health, that's always in the news. <laughs> oh, I, I can run with this one. I can run with this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, all the kids are coming back from break, whether it's college or if it's grade school, you know, going getting back into the swing of things. And uh, it's like, oh man, school again. Yeah. I'm depressed. Well, I mean, very few of us really, really enjoyed school. You know, um, I, I, you know, when you talk, there's this whole misnomer about best time in your life uh that was you know 40 years ago and and now um yeah it, you know i think a lot of systems are falling apart you know really really falling apart i think it's you know i'm going to kind of loop well um i'm going to loop it eh, loop it in with the special education um but in terms of where our budgets are going and, and why they're going um i think it's very very uh, positive that we're we're trying to pay special attention to children that might need more, but I think it's a much bigger issue um, than the than the educational system. We've taken away so much of our fundamental support um, at the family level, um, and then you know kids with a lot of deregulation then are coming into the schools and just the way police are trying to deal with mental health now teachers are trying to deal with mental health and they're just not equipped yeah. 
And, you know, the fine line between mental health and learning disability, okay, what we call one, what we call the other, there's a little bridge in terms of behavioral educational um, and how an educational complication can turn into um, a, um, a mental health issue very, very quickly. And we're just, we're just sticking band-aids on it. Um, if we want to get further political, what special education assistance teachers are paid is disastrous, absolutely disastrous. Um, so, yeah, how much longer do you want me to go on here? <laughs> well, it's just labeled wrong. Yeah. Right. It, that's and, and and then the stigma. Mm -hmm. What? When did all the when? Did, why did all the asylums get started? Why did all the separation go? Why? Why is there a hospital and why is there you know asylums? Anybody have a guess, Jay? You know, my first laboratory in 1972 was at the North Dakota State Hospital, which was originally named the North Dakota State Hospital for the Insane. So, you know, the the history of mental hospitals is not great. In fact, it's atrocious. Uh, they were awful, awful places. If you've watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. A, I worked there. I mean, it was the. I recognize all the characters with, you know, different faces and names. Uh, the nurse Ratchet, retired mil military nurse, uh, running the show. I mean, uh, all of the characters from that movie were there at the state hospital, and uh, the, there were custodial wards. Um, uh, there were wards full of Parkinson's patients with. You know, the Parkinson's patient needed to be cared for. They don't belong necessarily in a mental hospital, um, uh, but it, uh, that's where they were sent. Um, so uh, it's, uh, in the 1970s, I started in 72. They had just passed the law that if you, uh, if you worked uh, an immediate harm to yourself or others, that you had to basically be let go. Uh, out of a state hospital. Now in California, they just opened the door, threw everybody out. Now you see them on the street. North Dakota got the gold award, the, the cream of the crud, the best bad system you can imagine. You know, yeah. they actually found spots in halfway houses and, and spots in North Dakota, the, the hometown uh, somehow uh, to get the person cared for. So they, they carefully discharged people over a two year period. I started there 2,500 patients, uh, three years later, 750 patients, you know, so uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, they, they, they're still awful places, um, but they're, they're less, um, somebody complained about you and you get assigned to the state hospital and can't get out. I mean, there, yeah. I, I saw cases like that, that, that were, uh, uh, that that were there too. So. How's it different from a prison? Can I just uh, uh, jump in though? Before yeah. what what Jay was talking about, I think is is just beautiful. You're talking about a community solution versus an institutional solution, right? Um, and yeah, that 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 goes into the, the the prison thing. An institutional solution, a mental hospital versus a prison. The only difference is why you're in there, right? <laughs> well, I. Which one has more drugs? 
<laughs> it's not funny, but it's, I mean, I, I, I think money, you know, follow the money. They, they kind of did it to, you know, shore up budgets, but eventually we're paying for it. I know you're in Canada and we're in the U S but you know, you're paying for it before the fact we're paying for it after the fact, you know, with the homeless and all, all, all that. Well, we, we, we have an issue up here now. We have an yeah. issue up here. Yeah. I mean, the city that I'm in now, um, Vancouver, uh, we have a horrendous um, a homeless issue. We have a horrendous drug issue. It's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Uh, what do you have here, Jay? Th this was a private room at the state hospital. And how did they decide which 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 bed you slept in that night? <laughs> well, the... you could sleep in the bed. You might, uh, but you might spend a part of the day in the cage. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, not not exactly uh, a fabulous uh, circumstance. And um, I thought you said solitary confinement makes you worse. Okay. <laughs> State hospital for the insane jamestown north dakota so this is old but so no barbed yeah, wire yeah yeah well that's <laughs> that's a difference yeah picture and, is fun though uh, is absolutely a form of torture is isolation so. and here's um uh, let me close this uh here's actually our lab uh, there were patients in the patient room. We were in the equipment room. This is my uh, lab uh, co. Uh, um, we wrote the grant together, Larry Woodard. You see, he's got hair down his back. I had hair down my back as well. And um, hippies. So anyway, so it was fault. it was a it was an interesting era. Um, <laughs> so uh, and. Yeah, what we've learned and what we haven't learned, I think in many regards, we've really advanced in terms of, you know, physical confinement. Um, but our, our approach of just let everybody out and, and throw pills at them. Um, this, this is, again, where neuro comes in. If, if, if we can find the space and the time and the finances to, to yeah, go the to the organ. Like uh, Jay that's, said, that's, the grants, it's why yeah. is it easier to get a grant on the medical side than the mental side? Yeah, that's changing, though. Par parity yeah, has been yeah. litigation to establish parity. So you can see the state hospital is actually a gigantic institution. They had their own farm. Uh, this is their hospital. Uh, they had the, the admission uh, area and uh, treatment wards, uh, but it was... It was a huge community unto itself. They had, you know, their their own uh, slaughterhouse for cows and whatnot. So it was um, uh, quite the uh, uh, circumstance. It's Alcatraz without the water. Yeah, it was surrounded by uh, enough open field to to be found in. <laughs> uh, Alcatraz. There was uh, snow-covered fields. You couldn't. Um, you know, if you got out, where would you go? Like <laughs> Russia. So, yeah. In the documentary that they uh, shot about me, I, I gave a little anecdote about uh, the state hospital and uh, some people that came up to the 
uh, office I was in uh, working a night shift and they had their coats on. This isn't a locked ward. And I, I, I look at the chart and there one's in there for homicidal, um, that there's a hold on them for homicide. The other one, uh, um, you know, e equally uh, uh, problematic and big guys. Uh, there's an iron bar right next to me. You know, I, you could pull out an iron bar and whack somebody pretty good. Smoothly. But I, I, I figure, well, you know, I'm not in the business of beating people up with iron bars. And they, they said, let, let us out or we're going to beat you up. And I think, well, you know, I, I could go at it and probably do some damage to them. They probably get some damage on me. But I said, okay, I'll let you out. But, you know, hold on for a moment. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get to the bottom. You're going to, I'm going to let you out the top door. You're going to go down three flights. At the bottom, there's a door you can jimmy open. You know how. And and you're, you're free. But what are you free to do? You, you're going to run away. Okay, you're going to run away where? Across a snow-covered field. You know what's going to happen? The sheriff is going to be notified that there's somebody gone and they're going to come out and they're going to drive around. They're going to search with a spotlight. They're going to see you in the middle of the field. Now, the sheriff doesn't really care about patients at the state hospital that much. They're going to drive across the field on their all-wheel drive. They're going to run you down. After they've knocked you down with their vehicle, then they're going to get out, going to bring you back to the state hospital. You're going to be in the medical ward. I let him out. This is exactly what happened when I left my shift. I went down to the medical ward, and there they were. You know, it's, you know, it's uh, uh, quite predictable. So you had a runner. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, and um, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's a it's an institution who yeah. whose time has passed. Um, and most of the wards that were psych wards are now part of the women's prison uh, for the state uh, where they do some kind of rehab. Uh, um, uh, some of them can go off site during the day and come back at night, that sort of thing. So it, it, the, the purpose of the hospital has changed considerably. Again, they went from you know, 2,500 to 700 and then went down from there. Jay, 25 years or so before that, Joe Kennedy's kid had a had an issue, and he did some paid for some off-site surgery and uh, ice pick lobotomy. lobotomy. Yeah, this is uh, a Walter Freeman um, uh, uh, Jr., who is Walter Freeman the Third's father. Walter Freeman III is a famous nonlinear EEG analysis person from UC Berkeley. He passed a few years ago in his 90s. Brilliant, brilliant guy. But his father was the inventor of the uh, ice pick lobotomy. Uh, no, uh, they, they basically go through the eye socket um, and cut a, uh, cut a, a pathway uh, the, the, that innervates the frontal lobe. Uh, the, the medial forebrain bundle. And once that's nicked, um, you, you have a lot less affective, you know, it, you've cut off the frontal lobe. You know? So um, it, it, it dulls um, uh, affect. People become 
almost a kinetic mute. So, uh, um, yes, it's, it's an awful procedure. Uh, it was popularized uh, back then, um, but Walter Freeman III lived his entire life trying to live down his father's invention. So, the, you know, they actually sell uh, uh, Freeman. Um, uh, it, it's like a little tuning fork uh, type uh, deal where you, you insert it and then um, it, it rocks back and forth a certain amount in order to tell you exactly how much you have to have snipped. Anyway, the, uh, it, it, it's uh, ice lobotomy and it, it turns you into a vegetable basically. So which, which is better? I mean, they, how did they think that would help? <laughs> well, uh, uh, those are acts of desperation. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, uh, um, when I was at the state hospital, there was a state legislator whose kid was in the state hospital, and she was suicidal, and they had done hundreds of ECT sessions on her. The, the last motivational thing she had going was to do herself in. And she was assigned a one-on-one -on -one aide that had to go around and make sure she couldn't kill herself. And if she could get a pencil, she would stick it in her eye. You know, she was, she was serious. And, um, and, 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 and even with the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, uh, she, she had serious attempts. In circumstances like that, yeah, it's, it's, it's an act of desperation and it might end up being the only thing that can keep the person from you know, willful acts of violence on themselves. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm yeah. And, and ECT itself is also a, a, a little, uh, a bit of a, a last, uh, last ditch attempt that, uh, correcting brain function. That's it. What, what are they? We'll close on this one. What are they trying to do there? I mean, that's when you're, you know. Yeah, and there's bilateral, there's unilateral. Uh, they're, they're doing it better now than they used to because they used to have spinal fractures from the convulsions. Now they paralyze you so you don't convulse, and uh, they 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 kind of give you a hypnotic so you're a little more relaxed about the circumstance and then uh, they blast you and they're more often right frontal nowadays than bilateral but you know uh, depending upon where you are and how old the person is doing the the, the treatment you might have old bilateral as well still i mean we're talking about but, chemical energy here so if you have afib they'll put you out they'll put you under and they'll reboot you right that's a dissertation yeah, that this, people understand that pays. It, it, it's an attempt at a reboot, basically. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't always work. And there are extremely common complaints of, of bad effects on memory. And it's hard to get around that. I mean, the, it's better than it was. The complaints are less often than they were. Uh, at the state hospital, uh, we had a carpenter who couldn't remember how to build anything. We had so a person who was playing, playing an upright grand piano, fabulously concert pianist level piano player. And uh, uh, they did ECT series on him. He could play the piano. So, you know, there's, 
that, that there's risk of loss of brain areas. Uh, um, uh, there are areas that are electrolyzed uh, by the current. So it, again, it's a last ditch effort to try and reboot the brain. And for some people it works. And for some people, you know, they've had a, you know, a multiple series of it and it still doesn't work. But desperation and no choice should never be a place to either start from or end at. And I think, you know, hopefully rounding this out in, in terms of positive, you know, in terms of the institutions, whether we talk about prisons or mental institutions, yeah. you know, places people do not want to be, we need are more grassroots. You know, if we talk about uh, addiction, for example, you know, I think it's the same in the U.S. Unless you you're a gazillionaire. Um, you can't get a detox bed, you know, um, but there's a place for you in prison. Um, so, you know, get if we can start to get back to the community level, start to get back into forms of therapy that can actually affect semi permanent or permanent change um, that can really help people to yeah, the, the, the instrument of master control, help the brain to be more efficient. Um, that's, that's the way to go. We T can't TMS is, is a step before ECT now. Mm -hmm. And, ah. uh, um, and it's, it's circumventing a lot of people from having to have ECT. Um, it, it's using a 1.5 to three Tesla magnet to zap the brain. And if they get the right spot, they do a fairly good job. Um, uh, do not use this indiscriminately, yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> and is too often. There's a, there's a, but that's a, you can actually create an action potential. You can force you to wiggle your fingers with the magnet, you know? So it's actually manipulating your brain pretty strongly. Uh, just below that level, you've got all sorts of uh, uh, neuromodulatory techniques. Uh, TDCS, uh, direct current stimulation of the brain, alternating current stimulation of the brain, uh, uh, EMF, uh, pulsed EMF um, on the Don't brain. Don't forget these little things too. You know, a, a tiny yeah. little current going through the mastoid process can be very quieting yeah. and very calming. And yeah. I don't know about you, but we don't seem to get major side effects on these ones. It's very, very gentle. So there's nothing yeah. wrong with electromedicine. Um, it's just, you got to know what you're doing, where you're yeah. doing it, and be careful about the strength. More is not necessarily better in many, yeah. many circumstances. Yeah. That was the CES I was holding up, by the way. Yeah, there's a whole hierarchy of, of, of uh, approaches and and starting with the less invasive, less, less um, yeah. uh, damaging potentially uh, are, are uh, definitely yeah. the last well, thing you want to do is get to the end of that hierarchy and have to have ECT. Yeah. For addictions, by the way, and, and alcoholism or, um, or other, um, sometimes just putting some of these a little higher than what you should can can help with cravings and it's you know these are little units people can use it at home these are yeah. some of the adjuncts that you can use with your neurotherapy so there's a lot out there yeah. a lot out there C certain cases turning it up to 11 and spinal tap is good <laughs> <laughs> i am not endorsing that one <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> yeah <laughs>
Happy New Year, guys. Dr. Bruce Michael Jake, Uncle Ben. Enjoy your day. Enjoy. Have a great New Year. The Neuronoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 